Hi, it's Caroline Stephen. What is the number one thing which keeps traders out of the markets? Fear. In today's episode, we look at traders' stumbling blocks, where they get caught up and which stumbling block might apply to you. First, we hear from the Weeze Bedford in MindPower and then from Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader. And then finally in the show, we have a wrap of the markets with Chris Tate as he talks his book and what's trending around the world. Let's hear Louise Bedford now. Do you suffer from these three trading stumbling blocks? I want to talk about three specific areas that you may not even realise you're doing. You know those insidious habits that if you can instantly change them, they will fuel your profits in the markets. But sometimes when we're not aware of them, we just keep doing them over and over. The first trading stumbling block is holding your breath while you trade. I've called this trading apnea. After watching members of my mentor program pop on trades, holding their breath as they do so, I realized what was happening here. Some people, when they feel tension, like to add to that tension, and it is funny how it happens, even on a subconscious level. You're depriving your body of oxygen. You're increasing your tension, and it can lead to cognitive decline. I dare you to take a deep breath before you place a trade and remember to keep on breathing. You'll be amazed at the result. The second trading stumbling block is showing other people your current trades. We call it talking your book. What happens with this is that you have to justify your position and and really ego steps in at that stage and either you're thinking they know more than you do or even if you're thinking they know less, you still have to justify your position to that person. The only educator in the markets that counts are the markets. So you don't have to really justify yourself to anybody. Pop on your trades according to your trading plan and don't talk your book. The third trading stumbling block is not examining the trades that you didn't take. Can you look at the ones that you didn't take over time and see whether there's something that you're missing? Maybe there's a specific little setup or a trigger that perhaps has got you stymied at the time and you haven't seen it for what it is. If you look at the trades that you didn't take from your shortlist, you might just recognize a brand new pattern that has been completely overlooked up until now. It's well worth your while. Have a think about which of these three trading stumbling blocks is applicable to you. Do you hold your breath? Do you show other people your current trades? Or do you not examine the trades that you didn't take? and fix it today, you'll be amazed how much that fuels your profits. Hi, I'm Jeremy Alexander Newsom, and I listen to Caroline at Talking Trading. Do you think it's just everyday traders who feel fear? Well, think again. Even professional traders feel fear. Let's hear Jason McIntosh's and Louise Bedford's conversation about it. 
Louise Bedford here. I'm here with Jason McIntosh. Now, interestingly, Jason, my husband, Chris Bedford, has been using your Motion Trader newsletter for many years. He is an engineering type of head, and it's fantastic because he needs specifics and he needs to be able to convert those specifics into action. Now, Jason, one of the things that I think our traders are facing at the moment is fear. Fear of so many different things. Fear of what's going to happen to the market. Fear of are they good enough to trade. Fear of I'm feeling out of my comfort zone. And I'm sure some of your traders will have felt the same way. Now when people come to you from a trading background and they're experiencing fear, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you handle that for those traders. Oh, Louise, it's, um, I think fear is you know, probably the number one thing that keeps people out of the market. And, uh, and, and people think, it's, look, it's just the uh, everyday traders who experience fear. But look, I got my start at Bankers Trust in the 1990s. And, uh, and look, you'd think everyone at a, in a high-end professional dealing room would be, be fearless. And look, it's just not the case. I remember one of my colleagues, I was a new new trader there. I, 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 just, I was a graduate, back in my graduate days. So I got to sit next to a senior trader and this was fantastic because I got to learn all, all his ways and I started to, started to develop my, my, own tri- my own style as a trader. What was interesting was across his computer screen he had the words, he had in, in big black, black text colours, you know, the type you'd use at the, uh, you know, the kids use at school. Just three words, just do it. Now you might you probably know that slogan from the um, the Nike commercial. The Nike, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just you know, it's just a famous slogan. Everyone knows it. And uh, and his reason for, for having it there was he um, his problem was he'd he'd do all the analysis on a trade, he'd he'd find the just the right time to buy, but then he'd balk at pulling the trigger. And his fear was you know, the actual put the trade on. And uh, so, hence he had the words, just do it there. And that was what got him over the line and got him the place to trade. But he needed that prompt. And it's, you know, this is the thing with fear. It doesn't affect just everyday traders. I actually read the Shoe Dog book. Chris Tate bought me the Shoe Dog book, which is about the Nike story. One of the things that really resonated about that book with me is that even after Nike had become an amazing success, they'd just done so well, they brought in so much money into the guy that actually created Nike into his family household. Apparently he and his wife went to the grocery store and bought up things that like cereal and toilet paper and stationery. They went on a big spending spree on staples and then he realised he was scared. He was worried that that money could be taken away from him. So even at his level of success, he experienced fear. The thing I loved that you mentioned that you told your kids the other day, talk about that, Jason. You mentioned about a comfort zone yeah, situation. Yeah, it's, um, it's something I tell them all the time because, like, everyone, everyone has a point where they're, they're comfortable and it's easy to, to just, just live your life in that comfort zone. But if you really want to do well at something, you've got to step out of the comfort zone. And uh, so what I say to the kids is, you know, the... The magic happens, it happens outside of your comfort zone. So you've got to do whatever it takes to get you to that point where where the magic's going to happen. It's not going to occur if you just sit back and, and let the status quo 
rule. Uh, and this is the thing with trading. You've got to find, and this is what my colleague did. He, uh, he, he found a way to move himself outside his comfort zone. For him, just do it. That did the job for him. Look, if you're, you're an everyday trader and you're, you're struggling to get started, like there are, there are a few things you can do. It's, the first thing, I think, is you, um, you trade smaller. Uh, you don't need to take big positions. If you trade small, that means what you're going to lose is also going to be small. And if you're not particularly worried about the outcome, well, you know, nothing bad can happen and it's a lot easier to move forward. Also, you, you want to know what your risk is. So if you buy a stock at a dollar and you might use an exit stop, you might say, look, if it gets to 80 cents, I'll get out. That's a 20% fall. I'll put $1,000 in. I can lose $200. Yep, I can live with that. Again, the fear goes away, so you can you can move forward. Whereas if you're you know you just go a bit crazy and you're a punter and you say, look, I put ten thousand dollars into this stock, I don't know where I'll get out. Well, you could lose a whole lot. And that's where the fear really gets to take hold. A really wise older trader told me when I was a when I was a young guy starting out, he said that don't think of your trading capital as everyday money. He says he said like you know a thousand dollars could buy you a new suit or buy you a holiday. He said, but you know, if you do that, it starts to affect the way you trade and you go, oh, look, I'm up $1,000. That could mean, a, you know, could mean a new this or a new that. And he said, that makes it harder. He said, what you do, he said, think of your, your trading capital as, as a score. So you know, don't, don't relate it to something real. It's just the score. It just tells you whether you're doing well, whether you, you know, you're not doing well. And that's how you should, you, know, you should think about it. And if you can take the fear out of the situation, you're a lot better off and you can go forward and get better. Oh, I love it. Thanks so much, Jason. I'm sure that your advice will help a lot of talking trading listeners. Oh, that was fun, Louise. Thank you. Want to see a professional trader's rock-solid trading system and understand how they've made their millions in the markets? Learn from Jason McIntosh, a professional trader with three decades of trading experience. He's prepared a four-part video series for our traders and he's giving it to you for free at motiontrader.com.au forward slash talking trading. Go to motiontrader.com.au forward slash talking trading now to get Jason's free training so you can learn how to duplicate his system. I'm 100% confident that you'll be jumping out of your skin, just itching to put these ideas and trades into practice and reap the rewards. And you'll see how straightforward all of this can be. Now let's take a look at the world markets with Chris Tate. CT, how did the markets look for the date ending the 8th of November? The US markets were on new highs. Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, is that the Dow and the S&P 500 have hit new all-time highs, but there doesn't seem to be much of a fuss being made about it at all. It seems to have completely escaped people's notice. And what about Australia? How have we performed? We are stuck and we are flirting with this 6750, 6800 level. And how we perform heading into Christmas when people tend to take their foot off the accelerator is anybody's guess, but there doesn't seem to be any great impetus at present for our market to go anywhere in the short term. My Eurostox trailing stop has been moving up. How is Europe performing? 
This is the intriguing thing. If we look at markets for, you know, the past month, there's been a few standouts, and the standouts have been the Nikkei, which is up almost 9.5%, but also uh, the DAX and the EU50 being very strong, as has the CAC. Of course, the laggard there is the, you know, FTSE 100, but then really what can you say when you've got Boris Johnson at the helm? It's a bit like having a combination between, you know, Fred Flintstone and Goofy at the wheel. You never know where you're going to end up. And so we, we have this strange little disconnect in markets. Some, some of the Asian markets are doing very well. Some are not doing very well. Which ones are, are doing, doing well? Nikolai's doing well over the past month. Hang Seng, intriguingly, despite all the ructions that have been going on, is up about 7 and a bit percent. And this, this actually shows you something very important. And it, it's a point that uh, political commentators and economists miss. And that is that the market is not the economy. The market is perceptions of economy and perceptions of a, uh, of a much bigger picture. You would think that with all that was going on in Hong Kong, that their market would either be flat or going down. Because undoubtedly, if we, if, you know, if we look at a macroeconomic perspective, the, the demonstrations which have become extraordinarily violent must be impacting the economy. They must be impacting businesses, must be impacting tourism, which is a big thing in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a throughput like Singapore for the rest of Asia. It's a, it's a junction between the East and the West. But the market has simply gone... We really don't give a shit about that. We're going up. And so if you, if you were to take a fundamental view, your view would be that you would be short not only the Hang Seng but short China because sooner or later it gets ripple effects through there. But China raised stocks are up 37% this year. It's of the big markets probably the best performer. So let's look at commodities. Gold's down for short-term trends. Yeah, very, uh, the two last sessions last week were bad for all the precious metals, even palladium, which had been on a tear for nearly two years and has one of the cleanest-looking trends I've seen for ages where the chart literally starts bottom left and ends top right. It fell over as well. And this is reflected in you know, the fact that my systems talk, took short positions in uh, gold, silver and platinum last week. And so the, int the intriguing thing about gold is getting any sensible commentary out of it, anybody who's associated with it, because the moment gold goes up a dollar, they all go, it's going up $5,000 and it's really good for when the world ends. <laughs> and okay, what... you, you, you just hide in your bunker and, I don't know, do whatever you do with bovines. And what about soft commodities? The intriguing thing about... <sighs> The standout there over the past well, few trading sessions has been coffee. Which I mean, so I might add. There you go. Soybean oil has been positive, which is, look, soft commodities present an, an interesting paradox for, or an interesting conundrum rather for traders, in that there are economic strictures as to how far they go. In many respects, they're a little bit like FX, because there comes a point at which even with hedging, and all sorts of things, commodities become uneconomical. They just don't work as an instrument. 
And so you're faced with a situation that, yes, every now and again, commodities can produce exceptional trends. But by and large, they have an interregnum, a period in between, where they go nowhere, where they're very static. They seem to ebb and flow uh, between values. And one of the points I make to traders is that if you're deciding to have a commodity in your universe, look back five years and see how many plus five R trades it would have returned. And if it's not returning one a year of plus five R or more, then there's no point it being in the universe at all because it's just burning time, particularly when you consider that there are instruments that trade, precious metals trade, the energy complex trends, indices trend, individual stocks trend very well. But we get caught in this, well, traders get caught in a nexus, uh, this little vacuum thing, where they think that they must trade certain things to be profitable. And that's not true. And so if something's not generating returns for your system based upon analysing it historically, there's really no point in being there. You've either got it in there for entertainment value, legacy value, or you simply don't understand that it really, really shouldn't be there. Let's talk your book. What have you got on at the moment? Okay. Long Europe, long oil, short precious metals. And that really covers it. And that, that's that's across all systems. So that for me is a, a universe-wide uh, series of signals. So, you know, short four-hour, short daily, long long four-hour, long daily. And so... What about Asia? You know, look, one of the issues I have is I was long the Nikkei, got, but got pinged out whilst I was actually travelling, which was a little bit annoying because it was a... It, it was a transcription error on my behalf in moving the stop. Uh, I got figures out of place. Because, Not often you'll uh, hear you say that. No, look, I broke a rule in that I I did something in a hurry whilst travelling, which is normally not something I do because I consider trading to be a, irrespective of what people say it is, to be a considered, reasoned profession where you take your time. And unfortunately, I broke that rule. And so the position got pinged out and I just went, Stuff it. I'll leave it until I get home. Because if you attempt to remedy a fault you've made travelling whilst you're travelling, you can actually make the problem worse. And so you just accept that it's an error you've made. Move on. And that's easy to do because when you look at charts, you see that there is absolutely no shortage of opportunities. CT, thank you for your time. So nice to talk to you. Not a problem, Caroline. And guys, stay tuned next week to hear mentoree Mr. Con Brachinus on his spectacular fourth hourly short-term system results. I'm Caroline Stephen. Happy trading. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at 
tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation. Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not.